Welcome to Deadly Days, uh, Tales of Dark Fantasy, episode number 26. We're moving right along there. Uh, Before we get started, I'd like to say that I translate these stories. Uh, If you're interested in printed copies or the books, uh, some of them are on Kindle. I'm going to be getting more of them put onto Kindle this fall. Otherwise, uh, they're all available in paperback and hardcover at lulu.com, L-U-L-U.com. My name is Joe Bandel, band like a rock and roll band, E-L. You can look at my spotlight page, which would be... uh, lulu.com slash spotlight slash anarchist banjo or you can look up the author or my name google that Uh, I translate mostly stories by Hans Heinz Ewers and Carl Hans Strobel with other authors thrown in especially from the magazine Der Orchideengarten which is the world's first fantasy magazine, illustrated fantasy magazine, published in 1919. That's when it started. I've been translating those magazines and stories and publishing those as well. I also am drawing stories from a magazine that came out, just a few copies came out called Cocaine that I translated for Side Real Press, who did a limited edition that sold out in just a couple weeks. So anyway, that's that's kind of the, the background there. I think we'll just pop right into the story. Today's story is actually from the second issue of Der Orchidean Garten. It's The Heart by Otto Zoff. This is a story about the longing of the heart. Its hero is one of complete longing, and one of those quiet, dreamy, and lost people is chosen as the hero of this story. I will simply call him the Celest, because he has gone from the tenement all day No one can say where he really goes, and the members of the household do not know anything else about him. He comes home around 7 o'clock and often plays his cello into the night. But this playing is so soft, so very restrained, that a great silence is needed within the dwelling to be able to hear the unbroken lines of the strange melodies. On some evenings it can happen that the entire household stands in silence, that all the apartment doors stand open, that people eating the evening meal take the greatest care not to rattle the silverware and only clink the goblets or glasses together with the smallest of sounds. It came to pass that people would gather together on the stairs, or at least the women would, to be closer to the plain so they could hear better. 
or others will go to bed early, turn out the lights, and lie there with wide-open eyes, staring out into the night, caught up and lost in the incomprehensible magic of his playing. Nobody knew the cellist himself, whom in the evenings always hurried up the stairs to his apartment on the second floor. Every gesture and mannerism gave out a firm rejection and an unwillingness to meet others. He was a small, somewhat stout man with a big head, flaming red hair, and a long curly beard of the same color. But you could not see his eyes because his gaze was always firmly directed toward the stone tiles of the floor, and they were covered with wide, somewhat reddened lids. If by any coincidence someone should have should have a few words with him, like perhaps the caretaker, about some matter dealing with the apartment or the tenement, his eyes would open briefly as if to get a glimpse of the speaker before immediately closing again. Some maintained that there was insanity in his eyes and that, in combination with his strange behavior, suggested a spirit that was not quite normal. The apartment next door to the cellist was occupied by a young couple who were almost as withdrawn as he was. The woman had been paralyzed in her feet for many years, and the people did not even know what she looked like anymore. After her accident, the man had given up his job as a private employee so that his wife would not be left alone. The vestibule of the apartment had been set up as a bookbinder's workshop. It is true that at first this was more a source of hunger than a source of livelihood. But after he had won a few customers, the compassion of the people continued. Finally, he had so much work that he had to sit the entire day in his workshop and could only talk to his wife through the open doorway. She lay in bed or on good days lay on the sofa and softly conversed with him. Only once or twice a week when his wife's cousin came to visit was he able to leave the apartment to get a breather. But he was always back home before the evening meal, a little tired and confused by the hustle and bustle of the traffic in the streets. It happened one evening in the spring when the courtyard below was littered with candles from the chestnut trees. There was a knock at the cellist's door just as he was getting his instrument ready to play. He angrily stood up and opened the door. His neighbor stood in the half-light of the hallway and said, Excuse me, please, I don't like to disturb you. He paused. The cellist impatiently raised his narrowed eyelids, blinked his eyes, stroked his red beard and said, How may I help you? It seemed difficult for the neighbor to voice his concern. His lips tried in vain to speak several times, and then finally, quickly, confusedly, with wandering eyes, he explained everything. We, my wife and I, always listen to you in the evenings. I am not sure if you know that my wife has been paralyzed for several years, and she has nothing but a little patch of blue sky that shines in on her. She is always so happy in the evening when you are playing. Then she becomes healthier and happier and forgets everything else. Again he hesitated, but the cellist politely said, Please tell me what you want. 
encouraged, the man continued, She is particularly bad today. She has less appetite than usual and can hardly do anything or move anymore. And there, and there, he anxiously toyed with his coat buttons and looked to the side for the first time. But then he looked quickly into the face of the cellist as if getting up the courage for his request. But the other asked, should I come over and play in your apartment? Then came a smile, a stammer, and a sob from the lips of the neighbor, and he waved his arms and tears gushed from his eyes. But the cellist had already disappeared back into his room and returned immediately with his instrument in one hand and the bow in the other, and simply said, So, again, again the neighbor tried to say something in thanks. And the words fell from his lips, but in his excitement fluttered senselessly. He clumsily motioned the cellist forward, opened the door for him, and asked him to enter. The cellist followed quietly, and when he had passed through the workshop, he stopped and stood in the doorway. But then across the room he saw the emaciated pale face of a blonde woman propped up between two high pillows, her hands stretched out in front of her on the covers. She looked over at the red-haired stranger with a startled look. But in the next instant she saw the cello, and a broad, radiant circle of light surrounded her face. Ah, she called out in a thin but cheerful voice, lifted her trembling hands and pulled herself a little higher, only to smile a little brighter and then fall back in exhaustion. The guest had been wished a good evening earlier, and now at the invitation of the man, stepped step deeper into the room and settled into the offered armchair. As he sat there, his mood seemed a little uncomfortable. Then his hands moved over the strings of the violin, and his eyes almost closed once more. Just think how lucky we are, cried the man to hear this music so close. Would you have ever believed it? He laughed and stood at the head of the bed as she took his hand and raised her smiling, radiant face up to his. But then she said to the guest who sat there silently and withdrawn, How can we ever thank you enough? But he instead answered, I would like to begin right away. So the man pulled up a chair and sat down next to his wife, holding her hand in his as they waited. They were both silent as the soloist quietly tuned the strings, tightened them, and rosined up the bow. Meanwhile, twilight had entered the room and wrapped the poor thing with round blue veils. But outside, in front of the windows, the long and pointed roofs flickered and raised themselves up as a few stars came out above them and began to twinkle. Then the playing began, but it would be futile to try describing it in words. The sounds rose so tenderly from the strings and were so full of love as they came together, embraced and floated off again, out into the blue spring night and through the open doors of the heart so that any speech that tried to describe it would sink back in shame. 
unparalleled feelings of love and intimacy filled the room. Music sang to all things and to all the walls, and the things and the walls in return gave their unknown souls, and they were woven into it. It became the music of the room and of those lives it enclosed. So much love poured out that it formed an arch like a beautiful rainbow. You could not describe it any other way. Over the entire courtyard, so that all sounds stopped and were made silent. But you only had to look at the cellist himself to understand the incomprehensible power of this melody. In the darkness, you could only see his face and his hands. They were pale, like bloodless limbs that moved the bow so gently. All his life force seemed to be poured out into the instrument. The lids lay heavy on his eyes, which were completely in shadow beneath his forehead. And his mouth was like an eternal silence, frozen in icy anger. But his hands, long, slender, and bloodless, continued to transfer the longing and desire of his entire body into that of the cello, serving only as instruments of his immense will. Then the playing stopped, and silence stood heavy over the entire room. The cellist collapsed. His head fell between his shoulders, and the earlier expression of intense concentration with one stroke was replaced with that of fatigue. Then, after all three had remained in long silence, the woman said, as if singing, It is as if God should come to us. The celloist started, as if being struck, and for the first time you could see his eyes open wide. His entire face seemed to be transformed into that of another seemed to become lost. You could see his little yellow teeth poke out between his lips, as if a terrible scream were going to be torn out of his mouth in the next moment. His eyes opened even wider, glistening with tears, and he said with a deep whisper as if telling a secret, I've been waiting so long for God to come. I call for him every evening, but I can't force him. Then the woman said, When you were playing, I heard all the angels enter. They came so silently. Many hesitated for a long time, but finally they had to come. I heard them hovering outside the window, and some rested on the limbs of the chestnut tree. The cellist held his eyes shut again. Then, as he was sitting there, he leaned forward and his forehead shone in the dark with a golden halo as if transfigured by a holy light. And after a long silence, he said, I would give my heart if God could be moved to come and hear me play. Because how can someone judge me who rests on a stone throne? and doesn't know what sorrow and longing really are. If he is to be my judge, he must be able to cry. But the man replied, He is above all feelings, 
And if you were to tear your own heart out of your body, it wouldn't make the least bit of difference. Then the cellist timidly stroked his bow over a string. There was a single note that trembled and rose in the silence, growing louder and clearer, and with unspeakable sweetness, fluttering colors began to blossom. Then came another note, deeper, more muted than the first, and searched for it, called out to it, and finally found it, and they both went upwards together into a great light. Then a third note stood in front of them, very brazenly, and they bowed to it and were like children chasing after it. Then all three sang together, rose and hovered side by side, full of light. The cellist leaned far forward as he sat, his face lost in concentration and completely absorbed, as if it were small and insignificant with nothing left inside, as if he was small and insignificant with nothing left inside. Only his mouth twitched as if in intense pain that his lips were no longer allowed to open. And as the melody became more exalted and more full of longing, the more he seemed to collapse and the more his hands moved by themselves as if they had lost connection with his body. And then a strange thing happened. The woman who had sat up even straighter as he had been playing, and one movement laid aside her blanket and stood up. And it happened that the other, her husband, who had been sitting beside her for this entire time holding her hand, was not at all surprised. He stood up beside her, slowly laid his arm gently around her neck, and they both, as if guided, walked over to the window. And while the cellist became lost even more deeply in his playing and put his last effort into his bow, stroking it and rocking back and forth in the armchair, the two stood at the window for a time and silently looked out until the woman softly, but in a very clear voice, cried out, There! 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 But as her husband leaned forward, his face was enclosed in a flood of light, and while he looked down with dazzled eyes, his body turned toward the cellist and called out, He has come! He has come! He is standing under the tree, can you hear what I am saying? I listen, listen. He is standing under the chestnut tree, leaning against the trunk and trembling. I see his hands. I see his eyes. They were flowing with tears. Are you listening? Come and see. Then his wife began to tremble and sob next to him, crying unbounded tears. He stammered, confused, incomprehensible words, and waved his hands in the air as if he were mad. And so this miracle seized them both so powerfully that, half crazy, they threw themselves against each other with confused, exultant words while crying and sobbing wildly. And so intimately entwined, they stared down with puzzled faces 
at the unearthly radiant tree. Meanwhile, they kept calling to the cellist without looking to see if he was coming. His song soared like the light flight of birds, rejoicing as it climbed high into the clouds. At that moment, when the melody reached the stars and the eyes of the couple wanted to go blind from the light of God, at that moment there was a noise like the hollow thud of a heavy falling body. The music collapsed, and the yard was suddenly dark and empty once more. They were both startled, turned around and screamed out loud at the same moment as they saw their guest lying lifeless on the ground. When they tried to go to him, only the man was able to because the woman was incapable of moving, even one foot from the spot where she was standing. And as the confused man bent down awkwardly over the lifeless body lying there, his wife began to collapse in faintness and despair and grabbed backwards with both arms clinging to the windowsill for support. Then she began to whimper like a wounded animal so that her husband feared for her and did not know where he was needed the most. And in his boundless confusion, he swayed back and forth in the dark room as if being pushed by a wind from all sides. Finally, he ran back to his wife, but his foot hit the cello in passing, and it cried out with countless wild fluttering sounds and burst apart. Meanwhile, the man stammered with senseless, troubled words and tears in his eyes as he dragged his wife back to her bed. She soon lay there once more buried in her high pillows, exhausted, gasping for breath, and from time to time softly moaning. But the man was once more kneeling by his guest, whose hands were now growing cold in death and as the whimpers of the woman kept coming from the bed, the night was pushed out the window from the corners of the room, and the noises of daylight came from the apartments of the neighbors, the nagging of a woman and the clatter of dishes. The man knelt before the dead and once more touched his face, once more touched his hands, and lay his ear against the breast, shuddered, and allowed his tears to fall down without shame. The next day, when an autopsy was performed on the strange red-haired man, they were confronted with a mystery. The body had not been consumed by disease, but when dissecting the chest cavity, there was only a dry, shrunken skin where the heart should have been. It was as if the heart had been sucked out by a thirsty, greedy mouth. That's the end of that story. Quite a story, really. I love music, and that's especially poignant for me. I hope you all enjoyed it. See you next week.